0: Well this morning we are ending the Holiness it was a very small series. It was five lessons uh, ending the Holiness series this morning. Hopefully going out on a high note here, um, I want you to turn over to Isaiah 62. We'll be there eventually, but so you're ready. Isaiah 62 is where part of this text will be, and then we'll end up back in John 17. At the end of this, when you all get there, let me know because I want to ask you to to read something up here and tell me what it means. But I don't want you to shout it out either. So, Amen. Okay. <laughs> what it, What I mean is. I want you to to read this and then if you understand what it's saying or if you think you understand what it's saying raise your hand and then I'm going to go from there okay so here it is no hands I've got all day so <laughs> Okay. I would assume that if you if you had a clue you'd you'd already raise your hand. So nobody nobody's got a clue. Okay, one? Two maybe? Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Okay, so what do you think it is? That's it. Yep. Oh Sticks. In. Good job. Was that did you have that too? Yeah. Good job. You want to go back? Sure. It's it's with 10 dollar words obviously. It's I mean it's written by Kendale, right? Yeah, it uses the big words to convey a very simple message here. But I wanted to see if you, if you could decipher that message because the The real message that we're going to be talking about is our name, who we are. We've been talking about holiness. We've been talking about why we were created to bring glory to God. We've been talking about a lot of things with holiness. And this morning, we're going to talk about our name, who you are, who I am in Christ. And this kind of thing, the sticks and stones, is usually said when you're know you being insulted, right? And sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, which is not exactly true. But... It's a it's a quick comeback to somebody that's trying to hurt me. Doesn't really doesn't really make much sense when you stop and think about it, but it does convey that simple message that you know you, you can't hurt me. No matter what you call me or what you do to me, sticks and stones, you can hurt me, but call me all, all the names you want. Doesn't matter. But it really does matter. It really does matter what our name is. Even God's name matters, and God does a lot of Things in the Bible, and, and I think each one is obviously uh, done on purpose, and I think the names he uses for himself in the Bible, as they change, as they're a little bit different, kind of give us a glimpse into his character, when you see different variations of his name, like, let's just go through three of them here, because there's a lot of them, but Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, and when he's when he's... When his name is, is in that way, it means that he is providing. He's a provider. Here's a, here's a glimpse into his character. He provides for people. He provides for his people. He provides for all people, and ultimately. El Shaddai, all-sufficient God. There, there's a reason his name is used this way. It's to convey who he is. To say, I'm all-sufficient and I will provide for you. The last one, El Olam, everlasting God, God of the age. He's always going to be there. God is always, always been, always will be. He's everlasting God. It, it describes his character so that us with our feeble brains can kind of understand who he is. Because in reality, we cannot grasp grasp the entirety of God or Christ or the Holy Spirit or even creation. There's a lot of things that we just are not going to completely grasp. But he gives us a picture into him, his name, and what it means. And by that, I mean, how many, how many times have you been called a, a mean name? You probably can't count on your fingers how many times you've been insulted by people who don't like you and by people who do like you. And a lot of times we hurt the ones we love, right? So a lot of times we get called names by people we love more than even people we don't love but when we get called by that name we start to assimilate those names especially if we get called that name a lot it starts to be who we are even though it's not really who we are if i'm called stupid as a child over and over and over again i can begin to assimilate that and be think i'm stupid and limit myself and, and i mean for years i was well not, not actually years i'm still bad at math I'll, I'll, I don't like math, and math has never liked me. And the teachers that I had growing up in school were never very patient with me because I was very slow with math. I needed it explained over and over again. And once I walked away from it, I would forget how to do it, and I'd have to. And my dad tried to help me, and that was was horrible. (laughs) Calculators are wonderful. Yeah, calculators are wonderful. Yes. I finally had, I was in, I was at the pre algebra class, I think, and the teacher said, if you never come back to my class, I'll pass you. I said, that's fine with me. I don't want to come back to your class. Let me on through and I'm, and I'm done. If I don't have to take any more math, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. But I, even though the teachers never said it out loud, like you're an idiot, I felt like an idiot over and over and over again because I couldn't grasp these concepts. I couldn't, couldn't get them down. For whatever reason, I just just stunk at math. But I begin to assimilate the, you're an idiot with math. You can't do this. And that prophecy becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it after a while. Because I've told myself over and over again, you can't do this. You can't do this. You're dumb. You're dumb. When it comes to math, you're an idiot. To this day, I don't touch math. Don't like it. <laughs> when Ty has a question... Go to mom. (laughs) Or, or, yeah, get the calculator out and let's try it that way. I'll I'll Google it. There you go. If Google was around when I was a kid, that would have been so much better. I'd have been a math whiz. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you is a lie. When we're labeled different, when we're labeled stupid, even if we label ourselves as different or stupid, we begin to be that. We begin to be stupid or different, constantly picked last at the playground. What do you name yourself? Nobody likes me. Nobody wants me. I'm no good. I'm unchosen. I'm worthless. So what we call ourselves matters. If you call yourself worthless, if you call yourself pathetic, it's going to shape not only how you see yourself, but how you relate to other people. Because if I consider myself as a worthless or pathetic person, I'm not going to interact with you At a level that I should interact with you. I'm going to go into our relationship with the idea that I am worthless, and pathetic, and that I expect to be treated that way. And I'll probably treat you that way first so that I limit the hurt that I get. Because I don't want to be hurt again. So when it comes to our name, what God calls us and what we call ourselves don't always line up. I don't know if that's the same for you in your life, but for me, I've not called myself what God calls me I've not viewed myself the way God views me all the time I I look at myself and I think I'm worthless he looks at me and he says no you're not you're worthwhile and it matters that we have an accurate view of ourselves that's why I wanted to end the, the holiness little series here on our name and the way God changes our name from one thing to another Intellectually, you hear God say, I love you. You're my chosen. But how many times have you said, no, I'm forsaken. People in my life don't love me. People in my my life don't care about me. This is my real name. God says, no, but I say, this is my real name. Or, failure. Anybody identified with failure in your life before? Call yourself a failure. For whatever reason, for whatever it is, whatever it is you failed at, but you look at yourself and you say, I'm a failure. Over and over again. God says no, but I say yes. I'm a failure. I can't make this work. I can't make that work. Things are falling apart. I'm a failure. Or deficient. Deficient, deficient, deficient. I'm not enough. I can't do it. In a lot of ways, that's partially true, and also a lie that we can tell ourselves. Because in one way, I am totally deficient, but in another way, God has made me extremely efficient. And I need to be able to logically and and spiritually separate these two and understand who I am and what God calls me. So when you're thinking about names this morning, I've brought up a whole bunch of different little things here, but what do you call yourself if you were... To think about it in this way this morning. Where do you sit in your... What's your name this morning? Is it forsaken? Is it stupid? Is it failure? Is it deficient? Unworthy? Unchosen? Unloved? What's your name this morning? What's been your name this week? What's going to be your name on Monday? I I think for me, I'm still learning the names that I call myself because I'm, I'm a... I'm a guy that uh, is a introvert, so uh, and I think it's a, a character thing of me that, that I can replay things that happened over and over in my life, in my past, and beat myself up continually if I want to. I can do it very easily. It comes naturally. And so I can call myself all sorts of names, and I can dwell on those things, and I can, I can really get down in the mire and, and replay those in my head over and over again. Even though they're gone. I may have been forgiven, but I replay them and I walk through them as if they're new again. And I start calling myself these names again. But God has changed the name, and that's why I wanted you to go to Isaiah 62, because in here God changes names. There's been some tough times for Israel, and Isaiah 59 through or excuse me, 56 through 59 kind of outlines, outline outlines. Outlined Israel's sins and and is, is really saying this is this is where you're you're falling apart here Israel, but it switches from chapter sixty to sixty two, and God says, "This is a new message of grace that I want to give you. You may you may not measure up. You may think you're this and that, and and yes, you've failed. Yes, you you've sinned, but this is who you can be. This is who you are in me. I want to read." Um, Let's see, I'm gonna, I think I've got it up here too for you, just in case you didn't have your Bible. Hopefully it's good enough to read there. 1 through 5 is where I want to concentrate, uh, with the emphasis on verse 4. He says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not keep quiet, until her righteousness goes forth like brightness, and her salvation like a torch that is burning. And the nations will see your righteousness, and all kings your glory and you will be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will designate you will be also you will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God it will no longer be said to you forsaken nor to your land will it any longer be said desolate but you will be called my delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as, to a young man mari- For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. We've all worn certain names throughout our life, not always the right one. But God changes our name, and God changes their name here. Israel provides a very startling image for for me, and hopefully for us, that that can really engage us emotionally in our lives here. When he says, I'm going to change your name there in verse 4, you're no longer forsaken. You're no longer desolate. My delight is in her. You're married. Boy, he unites himself with Israel, this this Israel that, that... has fallen down on his face, has has gone the wrong way, has done the wrong things. He's saying, I want to be with you. I want to unite myself with you. The king of the cosmos is saying, I want to be yours, and I want you to be mine. You're no longer forsaken. You're no longer desolate. You are now mine. Not forsaken, you're chosen. You're not a failure. You're married. You're not deficient, but you're blessed. That's what he's saying to Israel. Though he knows the depths of their hearts, though he knows where they've been and even where they're going to go, he's saying, I want to be with you and I want you to be with me. That's why I wanted to have John 17 read too there because it it really, I think, as as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and pay that ultimate price for our sins, he's saying a similar thing that that God is saying here in, in Isaiah 62 You're not forsaken. I'm choosing you. I'm going to the cross for your sins. I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I know where you're going. But I want to be with you. And to do that, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for your sins. So if you've if you got... Just go over to John 17 again. What I what what a part of the the beauty of this passage is that it, it shows us what God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit what they all wanted us to experience it gives us his purpose in here, but he also says this is what I want my people to experience verse twenty three I in them you and me, that they may be perfected in unity that the world may know that you sent me." And love them even as you loved me. And look at verse 26. I have made thy name known to them, and I will make it known. That the love wherewith you did love me may be with them and in them, and I in them. We are designed for a purpose. We talked about that from the beginning. To bring glory to God. And God is saying in Isaiah 62, I want to be with you. And he's saying in John 17... I want to be with you. I know where you've been. I know where you've gone. I've made you for a purpose, to glorify me. But look at what we get to experience and enjoy. We get to experience the love of the Father for Jesus, the love of Jesus for us, the love of his spirit for us and in us. We get to experience that kind of love being in him. Being those that aren't forsaken, aren't deficient, aren't failures, but are now chosen, loved, and married in Him. We're created to dwell in the love of the Father. That's that's kind of what I get out of that passage. Where are we supposed to be? In the love of Christ. We're supposed to be in the love of the Father. He wants to be with you and me. He wants to be united with us. You have loved them even as you have loved me, 1723 says you love them just like you love me. He, God loves us just like he loves himself. Imagine that kind of love. Just think about that for a second. What kind of love is that? That's an amazing kind of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves us and wants us to experience his love. And First John tells us that not only does God love, but God is himself love. To experience the Almighty, to experience Jesus Christ, is to experience Love. To dwell in him is to dwell in love. The father loves the disciples just as he loved Jesus. That tax collector. That zealot. That Peter that said, no, nah, I don't know you. I, I don't know him at all. I don't know him. And then those eyes meet. You, you guys ever get chills when you read that part where after Peter has denied the Lord, that their eyes meet? I wonder what's going through Peter's head when that when those eyes meet Jesus' eyes. Yeah, yeah. There's probably a lot going through his head right then. A lot. But that love that, that Jesus has for him doesn't end because Peter did what he said he was going to do. In fact, you see Jesus restoring Peter. I love you, Peter. I love the tax collector. I love the zealot. I love all of these guys that are unlovable and probably unhirable in any church anywhere in this in this country, you all see that. I know you've seen that joke over and over again about the qualifications of the disciples. And would you hire them as a preacher? Probably not. Even even Paul. Now that guy's a murderer. He's not coming to preaching. Yeah, that love that the Father has for us, that love that that He wants us to dwell in and wants us to be in, which will ultimately bring Him glory. And will fulfill the purpose that Jesus came to do, to glorify the Father, to die for our sins, so that we could glorify Him in our lives. That, that glory that, that Jesus had, that He wants restored to Him, the glory that we have, the Father loves me just as He loves Jesus. What an awesome and powerful thought. And that's a transforming truth, and I think that's a truth that, that I need to realize every single day in my life, in my walk. But so often I... I don't, because life gets in the way, and worries get in the way, and sometimes you end up calling yourself failure, or stupid, or dumb, and I forget that God has changed my name. I no longer am those things. God's word to each of us today is, you are not forsaken, you are chosen. You're not abandoned, you're married to me. In fact, I've got three verses here I want to share with you here. This is Colossians 3.12, being chosen by God here. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Here's what we're supposed to put on, but notice that we've been chosen by him, handpicked by him. How good does it feel to be chosen first for the team, right? When you're standing in the line and, and they say, I want that guy first or that girl first. There's something special about you. When you look at this verse Colossians 3:12, God has chosen each and every one of us before the foundation of the world. How special is us? Or how special are us? That God has said, "I want you. I want you. In fact, I want all of you. But will you choose me?" That's the same question that the garden had was God's not finished with man, but is man finished with God? God's never finished with man. But man can definitely be finished with God. Here, Colossians 3.12 says, You've been chosen. He's wanted you from the foundation of the world. And here's what you do: you put these things on because you've been chosen by God. This one here in Colossians 2.10, and in him you've been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. So in God, in this love of God, not only have we been chosen, but then we are a complete person. We've been made complete. Even though I don't feel complete at times, and I, and I still, it's that duality of, of Christianity. We are complete, and yet we're striving for completion. We're perfect, and yet we're striving for perfection. We're saved, yet we're waiting salvation. It's that duality here, but I've been made complete. There's nothing else we need. He can't do any more for us than he's already done. And everything he's given us makes us complete. Makes us complete. Last one here is first John 3 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this world, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Again, how great a love the Father has for us that we're called His children. People who don't deserve to be called His children are called His children. People who've done terrible things are called His children. People who've got messes in their lives that are still, that they're still working on and cleaning up are called His children. He loves us to that extent. In that last, in the last four lessons, we've kind of looked at, um, the very first one was our new life, you know, and our new vocation, who we are in Him and who, what we do in Him. We've talked about new worship and today we're talking about His new name. And I want to share with you some lyrics from a song that I think kind of sum it up really well. It's uh, DJ Butler's I Will Change Your Name. <clears throat> he starts off with, I will change your name. You, will no, you shall no longer be called wounded, outcast, lonely, or afraid. I will change your name. Your new name shall be confidence, joyfulness, overcoming one, faithfulness, friend of God, one who seeks my face. I will change your name. God changes our name. I'm going to, to probably butcher the illustration that you used this morning, Bill, about the, the hoarder. But I, it kind of plays into what I was thinking about in this lesson. And, and we were talking about the hoarder and how the hoarder can't see the problem right in front of them. They're living in the problem, but they can't see it. You've got to make an aisle just to walk through the house, and it's got stuff that could collapse and fall on you and kill you, but you don't see the problem. And I'm going to t- maybe take it a, a different direction or, or maybe a similar direction. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm, I was thinking, sitting back there listening to that, that this person is a hoarder. Yes, and that's their name right then. They can't see the problem that's right in front of them. And, and for whatever reason, they can't fix the problem. And a lot of times, the, the shows that I've seen, at least, the hoarder ones, it's it's like they don't even know they have a problem. They're not aware of the the danger that's around them. They're not aware of how filthy it is. And they're not aware of how unsanitary it is. And it, it's just, for whatever reason, they can't see it. And they're unable to fix it. They can't fix it. So what happens is they, they, somebody comes in and says, this is a problem. And i you can't fix it, but would you be willing to let us help you fix it? We'll help you. We'll do the work, but you've got to let us help you. And I, and I see that as Jesus coming into to my heart and saying, you're a hoarder. And I, I, I know, but I can't fix it. I don't know what to do. He says, I know you can't fix it, but let me help you, because I can fix it. But you've got to be willing to work with me. And on those shows, I see them, you've you got to be willing to work with us. If you're not willing to work with us, then we can't do anything for you, really. We can clean it out, but then it's going to get dirty again. If you're not willing to work with us. And Jesus says the same thing. If you're willing to work with me, I'll come into your house and I'll clean it up. I know you can't do it. I know, for whatever reason, you can't clean this up. I can clean it up. Amen. I'll clean it up for you. But you are going to work with me. You're going to help keep it clean. There's stuff for me to do. He's changed my name from hoarder to what, anti-hoarder. I don't, know what the, <laughs> I don't know what the opposite of hoarder. Not a hoarder. But he's he's changing my name, as he he says, I'm gonna I'll change your name, I'll change everything about you, I'll come in there and I'll clean it up, and it'll be clean the best you've ever had it clean, because I'm the best cleaner in the world. But you got to work with me, you got to let me change your name, and then you got to live, you got to walk with me, you got to talk with me, you got to learn about me, you gotta you gotta grow with me. That's what Jesus is saying to us. And, and sitting back there this morning in class, I was thinking. That's that new name. That new name is, I'm no longer a hoarder. I'm now a Christ follower with a nice clean house. Yeah, it gets dirty. Yeah, I make mistakes and I bring I track in mud. Or, or I let the dust pile up in that corner. But Jesus is there with me watching and he says, there's an issue here. Let's, let's take care of this. Let's work together on this. Let's, let's, let's make this better. And I say, yeah. Let's, let's get them up. Let's, let's get these, these dirty footprints off the floor. Let's do that. But it relies on me. Letting God change my name, number one, to what it really should be beloved, married to Him, in Him. And then working with Him continually in that process of sanctification, that process of being holy as He is holy. Because I'm walking and talking with him, letting him clean my house and working hand in hand with him, cleaning my house. I want you to think about that this week. I want you to ask yourself this week, what is my name? What am I calling myself today? Am I calling myself, am I going back to my old name of failure, of forsaken? Or am I really looking at myself through God's eyes and seeing what Jesus is doing in my life and how he's cleaning And how he's making me the person I should be. Transforming me every day more and more into a man or a woman that looks like Jesus Christ. Ask yourself that this week. What do you call yourself? Call yourself a child of God. Call yourself loved. Not forsaken, but chosen. Call yourself one who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And then live that way. Do that this week as we stand and as we sing.